Now, I interrupted the flow of things I had been speaking about before from the fourth and fifth chapters of the book of Revelation, speaking about heaven, seeing John being taken into heaven and uh, seeing heaven and seeing uh, the, the Lamb being presented with the scroll or actually the Lamb coming and taking the scroll out of the hand of the pre-existent Christ. Now obviously once the scroll is taken, uh, one expects that um, the seven seals are going to be broken with the intent of revealing everything that had been sealed. This is about as definitive a reference to uh, the declaration of prophetic scriptures which in their turn would orchestrate or would be the, the, the means by which the future of mankind upon the earth would be orchestrated. You'll note that this is done in heaven. However, all of the events that are revealed with the exception of a picture of the Lamb and ones following the Lamb, by and large all of the events spoken to happen upon the earth. So there is this interconnection obviously between heaven and earth. Heaven is the repository of symbolic and prophetic uh, books and writings and records and, but the earth is the, is the location upon which these written things are meant to be revealed. So there is an absolute connection between heaven and earth. That's why in the beginning God didn't just create the heavens and God didn't just create the earth, He created the heavens and the earth. They're both created and they're both created in the same epoch. Now, because one is the custodian of that which is meant to affect the other. Heaven is the locus in quo, the location in which things are held almost as held in trust for the appointed time in which they will be revealed out of heaven. So when it was time for Jesus to come, for example, in the books in which it is written, a body you have prepared for me, and books in the scriptures are scrolls. By and large they are scrolls. Uh, Today books abound, but what we go on is not the form of the writing, but what is contained. Uh, So there were seven seals upon the scroll that contained the future and there are scrolls in heaven. So when it was time for the coming of Jesus on the earth, a particular scroll was opened and in the writing or in that scroll there was the writing, a body you have prepared for me. And so Jesus aligned Himself with the requirement of that scroll 
and God provided the body in the womb of a woman, a young woman named Mary, who was a virgin betrothed to be married to Joseph. And she, in the due course, brought forth a son. And the angels announced from heaven that the coming of this son would change the course of history because that was an appointed time when the Redeemer promised before the foundations of the earth would come into time and space. So heaven is the, is the location where the, mind, the things that are in the mind of God to be brought forth on the earth are deposited first. Now don't, don't, don't fail to understand God is bigger than heaven and earth. Heaven and earth are contained in God. So the things that then God hides within Himself for long ages past, but in the appointed time He moves these things from their place of being hidden in Himself and brings them first into heaven to await the time when they're to come into the earth. Now you say, you're finding a lot of just very esoteric things. No, these things are plainly said in the Scriptures. Consider the book of Ephesians, the third chapter, which says, that which God had hidden in Himself for long ages past, His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to principalities and powers in the heavenly realms, which He accomplished in Christ. So there are things that aren't written in heaven, there are books in heaven, there's the book of knowledge for example that's referred to in the book of Daniel, uh, for these are written in the books that the angel Gabriel told him. So there are those things, there's a Lamb's book of life in heaven, the scrolls like the one that we're seeing now being opened and so on. But apart from those things, there are things hidden in God, outside of heaven, outside of the earth, outside of creation. When it's time, God moves those things into creation and the order of their coming is typically first into heaven and then subsequently out of heaven come into the earth. That is why, for example, the stars were set in the heavens for signs and seasons. This is the book of Genesis, contemporaneous with the creation of the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be stars, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven, uh, to, to, shine upon, to shine light upon the earth and let them be for signs and seasons in addition to for days and years. So when things move out of the heavens, out of the invisible heavens to come and to appear in the visible heavens and subsequently to be manifested tangibly upon the earth, the heavens will declare the glory of God. So much so that as I said at the end of uh, the last broadcast, two broadcasts back, 
when it was time for Jesus to be born, the star of Bethlehem arose and I went into that before. So it actually functions. But then apart from uh, from what's written in in the books, uh, and, and there are things hidden in God. When it's time for great prophetic shifts and changes to occur upon the earth, the books are opened. Any time that it's necessary, any time that the time has come for the stage of things to move from heaven to come into the earth, the books in which these things are written are opened. Now the Lamb's Book of Life is not opened yet, it will be opened on a certain day by the very one whom they pierced and all the dead, small and great, will be judged by the things that are written in the books, but that's not yet, that's a scroll yet to be opened. But John was invited at the beginning of chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, John was invited to come up here and being in heaven and to sit and to see things that would come to pass after this, that had reference to the first three chapters in which those things were said to come to pass soon or shortly. So there's the soon or shortly and he was told by, these things were not the subject of the opening of a scroll or of a book of any kind, he was told by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself because this is the revelation, the book of Revelation is the revelation that God gave to Christ upon the completion of His role as the Lamb of God. God gave those things in. So that's why there's some things that Jesus says while He's in, on earth before His return to heaven, there's some things He says He doesn't know. For example, He didn't know the day of His own return while He was on the earth. That's Matthew 24, I think verse 36. But Revelation is that He was subsequently given the revelation. Why? What were the changed circumstances? He had completed His earthly assignment. So that's why He appears in heaven as a lamb who looks as if he had been slain. And with that, not only is he given the revelation and shows up on the Mount, uh, on the island of Patmos and reveals first things that were shortly to come to pass to John, but then he invites him into heaven to observe the opening of the scroll or to observe the taking of the scroll by the Lamb who now has the authority to open the scrolls. It irritates me when I hear preachers say, Jesus doesn't know the day of His own return, how foolish! And they quote Matthew 36, yes it does say that, but that's not all it says. Beyond that time, the Lamb comes and takes the scroll. Who is the Lamb? He's the one who was speaking in Matthew 24. 
Now he comes subsequent to returning to heaven. The picture shows him, Revelation chapter 4, shows the Lamb coming forth. Do not weep, John is told, for the Lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome and he is worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals. So what's written in the scrolls? Everything up to the culmination of the bride bringing forth the glory of God on the earth in the form of a fully mature son to the measure of the fullness of the statue of Christ. So don't tell me he doesn't know the day of his own return, that's foolishness. It flies in the face of Scripture. It is not accurate. It was accurate when he said it. But like many things, heaven is not static. Heaven is not unchanging. And we see an example of the changing nature of heaven to accommodate from its staging area that which God is bringing forth upon the earth. Now we should get these things in our thinking. This is not a time anymore for foolishness and for juvenile thinking. This is a time for the message of wisdom among the mature, because we are not like those who are perishing. If you insist on traditional doctrines, this day will overtake you as a thief but you are not of the darkness, I'm quoting 1 Thessalonians, you are not of the darkness, it shouldn't overtake you. And the thing that highlights what God is doing are these prophetic symbols. Now, when the Lamb takes the scroll that's sealed with seven seals on both sides, what do you expect will happen? Why is John invited up? He's invited up to witness the opening of the scrolls and the revealing of that which had been sealed, had the signet seal of the Almighty God on them so that they could not be opened by any unauthorized person including angels and men, but by the one who in his obedient life had overcome and was therefore worthy to open the scrolls and all heaven reverberated with that new song. Now, I want us to go to where he begins to open the scrolls because you see he is telling us what are the events from a heavenly point of view, which is to say what is behind the scenes. Humans will experience on the earth the effects of these things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they will know the origins of these things, in which case if you don't, you'll be tossed to and fro by every sentiment and everything that is occurring at the time without understanding. But if you're given understanding, then you will know how to engage the times in which you live. So as he opens the seven seals, 
he begins the process of revealing that which leads up to the coming forth of the fully mature body of Christ upon the earth, which is the whole purpose for creation. So I want to read from chapter 6 verse 1. John is speaking and he says, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come and see. Who are the four living creatures again? That's the representation of the corporate man. I have extensive teachings on this subject. This is the, these are the four living creatures who have the, the, the four faces, like a, a lion, an eagle, an ox, or a man. They show up again, or they show up previously in the book of Ezekiel and they speak of those who move on the earth, the wheel within the wheel and eyes within the wheel, and they operate from right under the throne of God. When they stop in Ezekiel, the heavens open and they're under the throne. What does that mean? They are the picture of the corporate man who operates by the authority of the throne of God. That's the four living creatures. You know, the problem with understanding the book of Revelation for many, is that they take it without context. Many of the things, all of the important symbols of the book of Revelation, a prophetic book, therefore it's written in symbols, uh, referencing types and shadows. All, every one of the major symbols of the book of Revelation have been previously referenced in other prophetic works throughout the scriptures. Such, and it's not all the, not just the major things, many of the, of the things that are in perhaps a category just slightly below the major uh, symbols are also referred to throughout the scriptures and one of them is the four living creatures. You'll remember, they're right around the throne, they encircle the throne where the Lamb has been presented and where the one who holds the scroll, the eternal God, uh, 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 is seated, right next to Him. What does that mean? It means that they're the closest in authority and in the reflection of the glory and authority of the throne, the four living creatures. The face like the lion, uh, like the eagle, like the ox, like the man. And around those four, in, a, in, in more or less a supportive role, are the 24 elders. This is, speaks of the government of God in heaven and on earth. So the government exists to bring order to, the four, to that which is represented by the corporate man. Because we're talking about a kingdom, an orderly administration of divine intentionality. So it's significant to note that it's the four living creatures speaking with one voice and it's like thunder. When four voices speak as one voice, it's the sound of many waters and the voice of God is the sound 
of many waters. Look, the understanding of these things will be first brought forth upon the earth in and through the corporate man. That is what I'm saying. They're the first ones to signal the times and the changing seasons. Come and see. Why? Because the times and the seasons are changing. And the revelation of the changed times and seasons are given, the revelations are given primarily, firstly, to the church, to the body of Christ, to this corporate entity. Because we're supposed to tell the world, we're supposed to enlighten the world as to the doings of God, to invite them into the refuge and safety of God out of the kingdom of darkness. That's why we have such a preeminent position. Imagine sacrificing that preeminence for living your best life now, for a jet or a a vacation house, thinking that that's all there is until you get to heaven. Why, that's selling your birthright for a bowl of soup. That's profanity. The scriptures say, for Esau was a profane person. Why? Because he sold his inheritance for the convenience of his existence. This prosperity gospel is selling these glorious things to be the spokesman, to be able to announce when God is doing something on the earth, to be light to the world. For for bowls of soup, as if that's the preoccupation of God. He'll give us everything we need for life and godliness, but this is a grade far above anything these fellows who propagate this foolish gospel have ever even thought of. The four living creatures can say, come and see. I promise you, The world is not going to be interested in your accumulation of wealth in a day of distress, because wealth in that day doesn't mean a thing. It won't protect you from anything. It won't keep you from anything. But those who can declare the counsel of God, they will be the wise men. They will be like lights in the, in, in, in the darkness. They will represent the indispensable value among human beings in the earth. You'll, you'll reap what you sow. If you've only sought after trinkets, that's what you'll get. But if you sought the Lord, you'll be included amongst those who are in the innermost circle of the throne to whom first the message of what God is doing is given and you'll get to say, come and see. Now, what is to be seen is not necessarily pleasant, but we're not in a time of pleasantries. He said, and I looked, John said, and I looked, and behold a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he went out 
conquering and to conquer. Now there are two white horses in the, in the chapters of Revelation. So in chapter 9, there's another rider on a white horse. This one has a sharp sword that comes out of his mouth and he's called the Word of God and his robe is dipped in blood and on his robe and on his thigh is a name written. There's no mistaking who that rider is. His name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he leads the armies of heaven. Now, that's not this rider. This rider sits on a white horse which historically is associated with leading an army and being the distinctive um, color of the authority of the leader. The typical historic uh, position of the leader of an army that's in the field where there are horses uh, in, the, in the army, the typical position of that uh, rider who leads is on a white horse. So this is some kind of a leader. Now interestingly, I'll skip over for a moment that he carries a bow as opposed to a sword because the one who rides, the great champion who rides has a sword that comes out of his mouth. This one has a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, the, 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 he has a crown, he has a crown on his head and it says uh, a crown was given to him. So he did not in, inherently possess a crown, one was given to him. And that's important because there are two words that signify crown. The normal word for crown is diadem, in the Greek diadem, D-I-A-D-E-M, a diadem and it references an hereditary crown such as that kings wear, one who has access to kingly rule. But this crown is called Stephanu, we get the name Stephen from it, Stephanu, and it references someone who in the Greek games was referred to as the victor Laudorum, Victor Laudorum. There would be a series of events in which one would compete and if he triumphed in all the events or had the highest number of points, he would be the Victor Laudorum. Laudo is to praise, so the Victor Laudorum is the celebrated athlete of the games. That's like the, decathlon, the winner of the decathlon in the, in the current Olympic Games. 
That's the crown he has, a crown from his own striving. We'll continue from there when we return.